0: to Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and Stephanie Burke. Did we say, I said I was going to say psychic medium Stephanie Burke? Hold on, I got to turn you on. There you go, try that.
1: You never turn me on, Tim.
0: <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> I yes, am, you did say I that you were going to say that,
1: but I don't think you've implemented it yet. We can, though. All right, well, we'll start now.
0: It's, it's a new... And then we'll forget again. It's a new year of Spooky South Coast. You know, we've only, we're only a couple shows into year 13. So now is the time to implement new things if we're going to implement new things. Oh, I keep trying to turn my headphones up over here, and I'm like, why isn't that working? <laughs> it's because I had to plug in over here tonight. That's better. Now I can hear myself. I think I'm going deaf.
1: That's okay. Well, so, you're getting sick, so you might be going deaf. No, this,
0: this has been ongoing for uh, a while now.
1: I'm, okay, well...
0: I was complaining because I was like, oh, when I'm in the news booth, I can't hear the stuff coming through. Is anybody else having that problem? No.
2: Hmm. Nah.
0: That means it's me. Well, that's creepy. That's okay. I'll I'll keep doing the show even if I can't <laughs> hear anything anybody else is saying. I do sound super tinny coming out of these. Do you? Out of this box instead of coming out of the board.
1: I feel like it sounds different, but I feel...
0: I don't have the same bass that I usually have in my voice. Not that I have a lot of bass in my voice, but... I like the way that it being belongs. on the radio makes me sound. Do you makes me well? Nobody likes the sound of their own voice. No, Mm-mm. but I do feel like the equipment here makes me sound better than I really do. Because people will be like, "Oh, you have a great radio voice!" Like, no, I really don't. I think your standards are just low.
1: It's like, not a bad one.
0: At least you can understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Most of the time. Right. And uh, and tonight we will try and. Have you understand most of what I'm trying to say? Because uh, we're going be to ta- be talking about UFOs without mm-hmm. Matt Moniz here. Right. Uh, he's got what some. Uh, he's got some extra work he has to get done this weekend that he's kind of cramming to get done, so he doesn't really have the the time to come in. But it's too bad because joining us in just a little while will be Chris Cogswell. He's the new director of research for MUFON, okay, with the Mutual UFO Network. So uh, we're going to be talking about UFOs and, and about his work for you know, what he'll do in that position. He's the new director of research. He's, he was okay. just, just announced uh, in the last couple of weeks, and uh, he's going to share with us what that means and, and, and what that position is. But we're also going to talk to him a little bit about the Mad Scientist podcast, which is his other passion, okay. his other pursuit. So we'll find out about all that stuff coming up tonight, and we'll take your calls as well at 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. We will address the... Issue of last week, right out of the gate here. Okay. Local people were wondering why we took the night off because, I don't know if you remember, but we took the night off because the snowstorm was coming. Yes. And then when everybody woke up on Sunday morning, there was no snow. There was nothing on the ground. (laughs) Right. Because it had turned to rain and it washed it all away. Right. But uh, I did stay up pretty late. And at the time that we would have been driving home, Mm -hmm. the snow was coming down pretty good.
1: Apparently, we only got like 1.2 inches. Yeah, we I didn't had.
0: get anything. But, it's, but
1: but overall, what fell was 1.2. But other places had 7, 8 inches.
0: Right. It was, it was pretty bad in other spots. Uh, we, got, we got lucky with that one. But yep. it definitely would have been not safe driving conditions.
1: I think we've learned on. growing up in this area, especially this close to the ocean, when they say 8 inches, sometimes it's 24 Sometimes they say eight inches, and it's nothing. So we're just better off not uh, not taking the chance.
0: And people complain because they say, Well, you know, you guys live in New England. Shouldn't you know how to drive in the snow? Yeah, we do. Oh, yeah, we do. The problem is the other people who are driving around when we get out of this show right. are usually impaired in some fashion. Oh,
1: absolutely, because it's the weekend.
0: And we're already taking a chance on perfectly fine roads.
1: And I would have driven. I have four-wheel drive, but I had a rental. So the head... Nothing. So at that point, I probably would have been a sled just, going home. Just better safe
0: than sorry. Yeah, absolutely. So, and uh, you know the weather's fine tonight. So it's, yeah, it's, well, it's still wet and rainy, but it's like fifty degrees. It's windy and rainy. So it's, gross. it's not it's not as bad as it was. And uh, and of course, coming up in the next, but uh, probably about the next month, the Red Sox will start. So that will kind of move us off the radio. Right. But we'll still be able to do the show here on Spooky TV. At SpookySouthCoast.com, so you can still watch the show and listen to the show even if the Red Sox are on. Mm-hmm. So you know you can keep your radio on WBSM and hear the game, but you can jump on your computer or your smartphone or your, your tablet, or you know maybe you want to use the YouTube app on your smart TV, whatever it is that you want to do to still be able to hear the show because we're still, we'll still be doing the show. Right, it just won't be over the radio. So I know, I know Dirty Deb has a problem with that, though, because she doesn't have a computer. Oh. So she she misses out on the show on those weeks, but that's all right, because she can always hear me any other time.
1: That is true. You're on every and, day.
0: And she does listen, so I am on every day. You I, are. I feel like I'm here all the time. Well, that? So six days a week, right? Yeah, for the most part. hmm And lot, lots of hours, but... That's all right. I, I I not to not to give away too much of what goes on behind the scenes, but I was asked this week if uh if I'm doing too much because I'm here so much. I'm like, "No, I just like to hang around here cuz it's a nice quiet place to get work done." But uh hmm. Saturday nights are fun time. That's the way I look at it. And
1: Yes it is. We'll
0: have some fun tonight. Now you you said that uh, you were traveling this week in you just got in. Did you just basically just leave the airport and come right here?
1: No. I actually uh, I haven't been home for 24 hours yet, but I got in early, early this morning, around like 2 a.m., and uh, didn't really sleep much, been up all day, and rushed right here when I could. So.
0: And then it, tomorrow you have a class to teach.
1: I do. I'm teaching for about six hours tomorrow, and then is, I'm...
0: Is it actually teaching for six hours, or is there like some time when... It's like a workshop where they're doing some things and, and nope. you don't have to actually talk for a few it's minutes. It's me
1: talking for a good six hours.
0: That's, that's going to be rough.
1: It's definitely going to be rough. I feel like every time I travel, I, I need a few days of recovery just to get some good sleep. I don't sleep good at all. When I, I leave, I go away and I'm sleeping in a weird bed.
0: I sleep better away tell. than I do at home. Do
1: you? Yeah. Mm, not me.
0: Well, but I also I also have a procedure that I go through. Do you? When I'm in like a hotel room.
1: Oh, wait. Do I know this procedure?
0: Uh I don't I don't know if I've told you the procedure of what I do to sleep.
1: Hm, I don't
0: know. Well, you know, they always have like the regular room lights and then they have like the little table lamp lights yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. what I do is I don't turn on the main lights at all. Okay. So like even even when I'm like in the room unless I'm like you know doing paperwork or right. something and I need more light, but generally I just use like those little lamp lights so that I'm when I'm in the room it's already kind of Dark Darker, and dimmer yeah. and I'm I'm a little bit getting a little bit sleepier. Then I watch TV mm-hmm. and then I will fall asleep with the T V on because sooner or later I'm gonna wake up in the middle of the night and just reach over and turn the T V off. Right. But I leave the T V on so at least it's I, I don't I don't want to hear the other people. No. So I don't I hate mind hearing part. the TV. Because it kinda blocks out the other people. Yeah. And and then, you know, I usually Fall asleep pretty quickly and pretty easily, and, and don't have any issues, and wake up the next day, and I'm like, oh, "Well, I feel all relaxed now."
1: Not me. I got really excited because this entire month's worth of traveling, there was always something strange happening in every hotel that I was at. Like major construction. You could hear people. It was just awful. So I finally, when I went away from my work conference a couple month uh, what, a month ago. Um, I got upgraded to a suite that was like in a far back corner. I was so excited that I was going to be able to just be away, and I wasn't going to be able to hear other people, and it was going to be awesome. And It was the worst bed I've ever slept on in my
0: life, so, so I can't wait. My win. bed's terrible, so every hotel bed is better. See, mine's better. Now, for anybody that's watching on Spooky TV and is like, why is him licking his finger and rubbing something? Yeah. It's, I was clearing the screen on the phone. Because of the glare of the lights, and my glasses, and everything—if there's like any kind of like fingerprints on it or anything—I can't see. If so, I have to lick yeah. it and so, wipe it.
1: Thank God you did that after you said you were just getting sick.
0: Well, this is this is how I make everybody else sick.
1: Right. So I'm I'm not on board for this. Just so you know.
0: It's I had to, it had to be done.
1: It had to be done. You could have taken a little bit of water and a little tissue and done the same thing. I don't want to
0: hit hit this phone with water. Who knows what could happen. Who knows what technical problems we could have from that. No, or, you don't need
1: a lot. You just need a little bit.
0: Is, what's, what's Mercury in? Because we were already having some problems earlier.
1: Mercury is about to go retrograde in March. <laughs> so we're probably so, in early phase right so now. It
0: doesn't help us any tonight then.
1: No, but early phase does count. I'd have to look and see. When,
0: when doesn't it count? Where, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, got, I, I, I prepped myself good for, for tonight's show. Uh,
1: why isn't your mic on?
0: It is on. He's just not talking into it.
1: Oh, don't make my life more it's difficult.
0: He's way over there. He's it's he's way over here now. He's doing that behind the scenes. Oh, thanks. Thing. I'm here. This week. He is here. He's physically you here. We are. This
1: week. It's been a while. Where have it's, you been? Why have you left us? I've
0: been uh, directing from uh, my jammies.
1: I know. I'm a little <laughs> jealous. I'm not gonna lie.
0: It you know, this show can all be done from our houses. Like we don't really have to be here. That's one, one person kind of has to be here to put us out over the radio, but, but... then we would never see each other.
1: Right. Right. That's so true. And with everything that we all get ourselves into, it's a nice little reunion. right
0: So uh, we will we will continue to put on regular clothes and come to the studio.
1: We could we wear jammies.
0: We used to. I used to. Back in the day. Yeah. I'd come in in, like, sweatpants or sometimes mm. pajama pants. Not all the time, but once in a while I would feel like I just want to get ahead. dressed. Instead of the uh, backyard barbecue, maybe we should have a slumber party.
2: We, we could. can definitely do yeah. that. Well we've sleep got a couch sunrise. in the studio yes. now.
0: <laughs> so we can all just you know one one yeah. person can sleep on the couch, one person can sleep on the floor and
1: I'll sleep in my car. It's probably cleaner.
0: <laughs> Gazelle took a perfectly good nap on that couch the other night. You did? No, Gazelle.
1: Oh, Gazelle did? Yeah. Gazelle fit on that couch?
0: Uh kind of. <laughs> there was, was some shocking. there was there was some feet hanging over oh, the city. Oh sure. Side, and we had to like Kind of wipe up his drool. He didn't really drool. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, we're going. Oh, that's a different angle. (laughs) I turn around. I'm like, well, that's a weird camera angle. Now I feel like I shouldn't shouldn't move my microphone over when I move my mouse (laughs) over.
1: I do that all the time. Poor Matt has to keep up with me.
0: Well, we're going to get into the discussion right now with tonight's guest. He is Christopher Cogswell, the new director of research for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. Chris received his Ph.D. in chemical engineering, focusing on the study of nanomaterials for use as catalysts and absorbents from Northeastern University. So he's he's got plenty of experience up here in Massachusetts. He has a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering and philosophy from the University of New Hampshire. He hosts a podcast on the history and philosophy of science and fringe science claims and is interested in how technology and Sciences are Accepted by Societies. We're going to get into all of that and more tonight with our guest, Chris Cogswell. We'll bring him on now. Good evening, Chris. Are you with us? Yep. Hey. All right. We got you locked and loaded here. Nice. So welcome to the show, and uh, and it's great to, after talking on social media, it's great to actually finally talk uh, on the phone.
3: Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, we were, we were very excited that you wanted to, to come on. Thanks for reaching out to us. And thank you for, uh, you know, stepping into this position. How did you become the director of research for MUFON?
3: So I – so it all kind of started really from the podcast itself and kind of my time working with Astonishing Legends, which so, – um, so Astonishing Legends is, a, is a, another podcast that kind of does a similar sort of stuff to the one that I do. And middle of grad school, you know, kind of that last year was going on, and I, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to get kind of back into philosophy, and so I uh, just kind of was was talking to old professors and mentors and stuff, and they were just saying, you know, you're going to have to get creative with it because, you know, philosophy is kind of a amorphous sort of um, profession, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's not a whole lot of solid stuff. Uh, out there right at the very beginning of a career, right, besides a professor or whatever. And so I sent an email over to Astonishing Legends and asked them if they needed a kind of a science consultant, someone who knew a lot about the history and progression of, of you know, kind of fringe claims and ideas and stuff. And um so anyway, so they brought me on, and then... As I was working with them, it's um, kind of my own show, you know, I, I wanted to get more involved in the actual hunt for these things myself and kind of, you know, you read stories and you hear things about, oh, well, you know, no one ever takes this stuff seriously and no one ever wants to really get into this and look at it, you know, from a scientific point of view and whatever. And, you know, I kind of figured, well, I mean, I, I have the opportunity to do it. I have the background and, you know, why not try to make, I guess, kind of a lifelong... Um, Dream, you know, something that as a kid I was like, you know, I want to hunt UFOs, and you know, my mom was like, okay, sure you do, you know, <laughs> whatever, man. That's... And um, and yeah, so I, I sent an email out to to Mufon and just said I would like to be part of what they had at the time called the Science Advisory Board, mm-hmm. um, and said I just wanted to get involved and maybe use some of my nanotechnology, nanomaterials background, um, and. You know, just in in getting involved there and talking to people at the higher levels of Mufon and stuff, um, it became clear that there was a need for someone in this role, and you know, I just I kind of just volunteered, not thinking that I would get it. It was like, well, you know, I have I have the PhD, I have this background, I you know, I'd love to take on the challenge, and um, and yeah, they were they were great enough to accept some of the big changes that I proposed and some of the ideas I wanted to bring about. And, you know, so uh, so now that's kind of how the adventure began, so to speak.
0: You know, and what's funny is that, uh, you know, you, you say, you know, that you never your, your parents would never want to think that you were going to hunt UFOs growing up. But in a way, the things that you have studied and the things that you have done kind of all roll into UFO research in, in some way. You know, there's there's facets of, of your knowledge base in the search for UFOs.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it is kind of interesting. I think, you know, for the most part, um, there's, there's really a huge amount of scientists who and, and people in, in academia and engineering and in all kinds of areas, right, that kind of got their start, you know, I mean, watching Star Trek and Star Wars and the X-Files and, you know, um, all these kind of science fiction shows. Right, and all of that, yeah, gets wrapped up into the hunt for um, these real life stories, right? And so, yeah, I mean, they're really it's it's fascinating to think how much of our technology has been shaped by these uh, science, you know, science fiction, otherworldly sort of claims, right? But yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it is a hugely uh, that's why I think it's such a it's such an interesting time right now for the UFO field. Is that there are so many, uh, so many young, you know, scientists, so many young engineers, so many just young, thoughtful people who, again, grew up with these stories, and for whom the idea of extraterrestrial life, or you know, whatever that may mean, whatever these craft are, um, that idea is not a foreign one to them. You know, it's something that we all grew up with. So. I'll. I'll, ne- interesting.
0: I'll never forget one of the first media appearances that I did after starting this show was uh, myself. I wish Matt Moniz was here, my my usual co-host. He's a chemist himself, and he's worked with MUFON for years, and he's been researching UFOs for 25 years. He works with abductees. You guys would have had a great conversation, but he's he's actually not able to make it in tonight. But one of the first things that we ever did, kind of, to go out and promote this show. Was we were asked to do a cable access program uh, here in the town of of where the radio show broadcasts from Fairhaven, Massachusetts, and the name of the show was the Rational Individualist, and the host I believe his name was Steve Grossman. Uh, he you know wanted to have us come on and talk about all this stuff, and then of course he totally sandbagged us as soon as we started rolling the cameras and went after us and. Basically, try to dissect everything that we do and tell us that we're stupid for doing it. And so, the first question that he asked Matt Moniz is, "Matt, if you're a scientist, what are you doing researching the paranormal?" And <laughs> Matt looked at him and said, "My job." And that always kind of stuck with me that you know it's it just because things uh, you know just because things haven't been proven or haven't been fully explained, it doesn't mean that they can be easily dismissed. Yeah,
3: it's one of those it's one of those interesting areas where if. I always say this to people too, where if I was talking about if I was couching this conversation in futurism right, so the kind of stuff that I did talk about in my thesis and in my um, in my kind of time in, in philosophy as well, where it was you know, okay, well let's imagine a society that is uh, 200 years in the future, what do we think justice means for that society? What do we mean economics? Um, what do we think economics will change to? How will You know, interplanetary travel alter our politics and our sociology and and the view of us as a species, right? Those questions, when you talk about them from kind of a, um, if you talk about them from the armchair of a philosophy professor, they're viewed, um, they're viewed seriously and very usefully, right? They're viewed as being interesting, good questions. But the minute you, you know, kind of put on, I guess, um, a kind of uh amateur academic or um you know just kind of enthusiast view or if you say, you know, well, you know, but I'm actually thinking like, what if this stuff's really happening? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the part where people are like, whoa, <laughs> you know, it, it it changes, right? And so that's kind of part of where we're hoping to go with things is a lot of these questions are useful outside of the scope of whether or not these things exist, right? Or or even whether or not they are physical craft or they are just part of a larger anthropological question of, you know, for general, you know, for, for since recorded history, at least, as far as we know, um, people have reported some kind of experience where they are taken out of their bed at night. And whether or not that's just folklore or it's a um, kind of, I don't know, a part of our collective consciousness or something, or if it's really happening. That has been reported, right? And I mean, probably the most interesting um, distinction between the two, kind of modern-day view and the past view, for me, growing up in, uh, in New York and then living in Boston and New England for so long, was, was witchcraft, right? There are these stories of witches who uh, come into the, into the bedroom at night and take um, people out for the Black Sabbath, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And even people on the ground who claim to see them flying people away, but there was really no evidence for any of that, right? It was all um, this, this you know, kind of, I guess, um, superstitious idea or something. But the fact that that is so similar to abduction cases, again, whether or not the cases themselves are actually occurring, that is an interesting question for someone who is seriously um, academically interested in the subject to investigate. And so that's kind of the way that I want to look at things more where – we're looking for the truth. We're looking for, um, you know, I, I desperately want to find that case that convinces me that UFOs are out there, right? But, um, but I think there are interesting and useful ways for us to talk about this that kind of bridges some of that gap and brings, um, what I would say, is sort of an academic um, a weight to the topic, right? And, and a kind of a background and, and, and couches it in a academic tradition.
0: And so that's what you. Uh, pitch to MUFON as being a, a new direction to take the research, and is that how was that received by them?
3: So what I pitched to MUFON was um, what I pitched to MUFON was kind of opening up what we consider to be useful investigation or what we consider to be useful research, right? So a big part of that is uh, changing the way that we view UFO cases, right? So for instance, um, right now. The way that we look at UFO cases is basically as individual events, right? So kind of like um I would liken it almost to the to the way that we used to do police work in kind of the eighteen hundreds to the transition with centralized large um law enforcement organizations, right? So previously it was individual police departments tracking the criminals in their community and looking at these crimes as individual events. But eventually we found we found out that Well, actually, there's a lot of usefulness in um, providing statistics to these cases and doing analysis of criminology and the way that criminals think, and also useful things on the outskirts of that major study, such as the anthropology of crime or the sociology of crime or the economic um, driving forces for it or the psychology of a criminal. All of those things are adjacent to criminology, but not necessarily what one would consider to be criminology as such. What I, what I basically proposed to move on was we do the same thing for the study of UFO cases. We, of course, continue to investigate and look at these individual cases, but we need to start applying different lenses to the statistical data, to the overarching themes that we see, and we need to start basically looking at... We, we basically need to start treating the study of UFOs like we do any other primarily um, human-related study. Right. So just like you would study um, sociology, that's kind of a lot of the same tools that I would hope to start using for the UFO field. And then on top of that, bringing in people with serious scientific credentials and using those people that already exist within MUFON to actually study the the data that we have. Right. Because, I mean, there is a it's I mean, even if we think that 100, uh, 100 percent we believe that UFOs are real. And I personally do believe that. I believe that there is something to these cases. Even if you think that's true, you know, one out of every hundred of those cases might be a real one, but 99% of them are going to be misidentified, or there's just not going to be enough info to do any kind of further study, or there's you're going to get your one or two hoaxes out of a hundred, right? And within that one out of a hundred, maybe one out of a thousand will have physical evidence. Right? Um, Some kind of mark on the body or, you know, singed trees or even a landing spot or something, right? So, really, if we want to do something useful with this data that we collect, and we do collect a lot of it every year, we need to stop uh, focusing so much on those few cases that have, I guess, what one would maybe term forensic evidence, right? Things like these physical pieces of evidence. Mm -hmm. And start looking at these data trends and this, um, looking at this with a wider scope. So that's part of what I, what I, um, proposed to MUFON. The other part was being more critical of basically making MUFON be something of a gatekeeper to what is considered to be, um, good practice or good, you know, kind of the, the thing that I always go back to when people ask me this is if everything is evidence of UFOs then nothing is right if everything is evidence of extraterrestrial contact of some sort then we start um, we start losing the forest for the trees right Mm -hmm. it just becomes too there's too much and we start allowing in so much possible theorizing and information that we, we can't even you can't get the right
2: Mm -hmm. And so
3: what I proposed was creating um, basically what amounts to an internal review board and an external review board where MUFON investigates these cases and looks for trends in the data and and looks at the big proposals out there about what UFOs are, what these theories are that are out there, and basically provide to the public and our members a view on what that data is and what basically our experts who have been doing this for – 30 years, 40 years, some of them, we know what their take on it is. So trying to provide a service and something like a peer review board or something like that for the UFO community so that we don't keep treading the same water over and over again.
0: And one of the things that can happen with, especially, you know, when you liken this to criminology, one of the things that can happen in that field is that as you are, Building these case studies and looking at the forest for the trees and, and seeing commonalities and seeing patterns you can almost predictively identify certain traits and you know that's why we can say oh they you know this person fits the profile of somebody who's going to be a criminal and, and there is a lot of a, a movement toward that do you think we could ever be get to the point where it's predictive of of who could be the type of person that might have an abduction scenario or you know is this uh, some of the certain factors or certain locations that might be a, a, a spot where a UFO sighting or landing could occur? Is there a way to kind of use this information to uh, predictively know where these incidents are going to happen so that we can actually get ahead of them so that we're catching them as they happen instead of chronicling them after the fact?
3: Sure. Well, I mean, so frankly, I, I don't know yet, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We don't have the data yet. Um, we have the data, but no one's analyzed. Right. What I would say, though, is that I think, you know, so that actually kind of gets to the heart of one of the more interesting questions that is out there right now, raging in this field, right? That is, are, are UFOs even a physical thing, right? Mm-hmm. right? Is there any reason, as far as we can tell, to what happens, right, with this event or with these cases? Um, you kind of get into that with the... Uh, the skinwalker ranch type stuff where are these you know some of these instances just seem like um, things that are just going getting weird for no apparent reason right the high strangeness of mm-hmm. it all um, might suggest that there really there really is no way for us to even comprehend what the um, what the underlying theme or idea is however, I would hope that there are trends that we can at least see. I mean, it it really comes down to if you think that UFO cases are the result of some some higher intelligence or other intelligence out there visiting this planet, then potentially we can find evidence to support that in the totality of the cases, right? I mean, and that's kind of what the hope, I think, for a lot of people has been – um, from shows like The X-Files and, and, you know, these other kind of paranormal-type UFO-focused series where, you know, what I think what people really want is us to look at all this data and see, okay, you know, um, you know I don't know, pre- pre- predominantly women in the age gr- bracket of, like, 20 to 35 are being abducted. They all have this color hair and this color eyes. And they're all this descent, right? This this kind of ethnicity, and so clearly there is some kind of genetic testing going on, or something, right? Or, um, or they want us to find, you know, okay, well, it's always people that um, are in are in families that have abductions and and all this other stuff, and maybe that's going to be the case when we find when we actually go through the data. And look, what I would say though is that then actually um using that to then jump to a conclusion about what the ultimate goal is, um, that gets you really close to um, – that really gets you close to kind of the problem of, you know, um, correlation does not suggest causation, right? right? Just because there's a correlation here where, okay, I don't know, I'm just making these numbers up. I have not – you know, we don't have this data um, yet in front of me or anything, but let's say that we find out that um, – I don't know, 90% of the people that have a sighting are um, living in 30 of the, you know, 30 of the United States, right? Um, then that might make a suggestion for where we should send our, um, our investigators. But we can't then say that that is because they're, I don't know, looking for a specific sort of person or someone who, I don't know, lives near a cornfield or something, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's not enough info out there, I think. Um, to make those kind of correlations. So, in terms of being predictive, I don't know. I hope, though, that it will at least be descriptive. So, we can at least use it to do um, sort of a, an analysis of if a case comes in, do we think it is a valid case? Well, I just wonder
0: you know, if MUFON's been around for all these years and has chronicled all these cases, then why hasn't anybody uh, taken a step back and analyzed that data and looked for patterns and commonalities? Is it because they're afraid? of what they might find when they do start putting it all together, that, you know, maybe it might come up with something that is not uh, supportive of the work. Uh, you know, maybe they come up with a pattern that says uh, there's probably not as much of this as we've put stock into it over the years.
3: Right. Well, so I think partly it is – so I think it's a problem. It's a it's a couple – it's a layered – it's a layered issue. <laughs> as you guys with everything in this, in all of these types of fields, it's always a layered Um, issue, right? First off, MUFON is a volunteer organization. So um, access to kind of the, access to the type of knowledge of um, database analysis and putting it all together and and that kind of stuff has, I think, been elusive for a long time. Um, You know, 10 years ago, the average MUFON member didn't grow up using Excel their entire life, Right. right? Today, that is the case. Um, that's the other part of it, is that the the um, ubiquity and access to the Internet and access to computers has really, like in a lot of other fields, allowed for really revolutionary changes to be done here, right? And then the other part of it, I think, is that there is, or there has been, an issue of data collection itself, right? I mean, MUFON, we get, let's say... We get about 300 to 500 cases a month um, of okay. sightings of some sort and that's all the way from um, your, you know someone has claims to have been abducted to someone claims to have seen a star in the sky. So we get about 500 say of those a month at maximum and 300 usually on average. That's 300 cases that need to be gone through and those are all volunteers who are going out and actually talking to the witness, getting their information down, and then making an analysis of what they think has occurred.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: There really has not been a centralized effort by MUFON, or really, as far as I can tell, any um, UFO organization to collect all of the data out there from the entire community, put it together through some kind of filter system, um, and for us, that is now going to be our internal review board who will look at all of these cases, and then come out with a useful set of data that can be analyzed by researchers. So, you know, so it's a long answer, but that's really, I think, the answer is that it's it's access to the information, it's the ability to upload it easily, and it's the ability to then, to then disseminate it easily, right? I mean, putting out a scientific report is all great and everything, right? That's wonderful, but the vast majority of people interested in these cases aren't scientists, and the vast majority of MUFON members aren't scientists. So we need to we need to analyze it scientifically, but then we need to disseminate that information in a way that is digestible to the uh, to everyone, right? I mean, that's the thing. I want this information we collect to go out to everybody. I want non-MUFON members, skeptics, you know, MUFON members, true believers, everyone should have access to this information because we're collecting it and trying to do a public service on top of trying to. Um, kind of be a voice and be a source of answers for people that have had a weird experience like this.
0: Well, I I think it's helpful, too. You know, you mentioned the the younger generation and people being more uh, used to using the Internet and computers in their daily lives. I think the fact that more people are aware now of MUFON to have a place to report these sightings, too, whereas, you know, 20, 30 years ago, until it was part of the you know somewhat of the the lexicon to have a paranormal experience people would keep this stuff to themselves and not want to give that information up and now yeah totally now when people have something happen they're looking you know they might they might see something weird in the sky and just go to google and type in who do i report a weird light in the sky to and then MUFON comes up for a search you know
3: well it's one of it's kind of one of those things where um it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing right it's just like with the internet with uh with WebMD, right? If you have a you know, if you had a weird lump on your body somewhere, in previous generations, you maybe would have gone to a doctor for it, but maybe you'd be too embarrassed, right? You just would let it, whatever. We're gonna let it do its thing. We're gonna see what happens, right? And today, you can Google everything, like you said. So yeah, I do think there. I think that is kind of a really good thing with Google that it lowers the barrier for embarrassment and the, uh, you know, it it allows people to seek these answers out without needing to kind of yeah tell you don't have to call the Air Force anymore and say you know hey I think I had a, a UFO sighting right or you right. tell your boss or whatever um, now um, at the same time though as, as although that is a good thing it's also kind of a bad thing because it means that there is so much um, there's so much misinformation and you know I hesitate to call it disinformation I don't know if that's the case but I mean, like you, the number of people who think that they are um, reptiles is too damn high. Let's put it that way, right? <laughs> right, like the the um, the huge uh, the huge majority of information out there on UFOs is uh, probably not grounded in fact, and that's kind of where I hope Mufon can be, as opposed to previous eras, let's say, where MUFON was kind of a, uh, a gathering place for all of these ideas. I, I hope that MUFON can start to be a filter and a gatekeeper for, um, you know, we think that these three hypotheses are really good, and these are kind of the areas that we think people should be looking for. And other place, and a, a place to say, we think, although this is a interesting possibility, um, there's not enough meat here really to dig into, right?
0: Well, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, you say that people can, you know, look for answers a lot more easier, but they also think that they have the answer a lot more sooner,
3: if that makes sense, you know. it's No, absolutely. I mean, do, like, dogmatism has kind of crept into the I – mean, people are dogmatic, right? That's kind of the way we are hardwired in some ways, and it's an unfortunate thing. And it's kind of the beauty of um, – it's why I tell people to, you know, I always tell uh, any scientific students that I've worked for who have been in my lab or have ever reached out to me for info and just kind of generally to people out there I always tell people you know the benefit of a philosophy degree or a philosophical education or even just taking a philosophy class is that it, it forces you to uh, it forces you to look at at the really good arguments for other ways of thinking that you might not have realized right um, you know I think that uh, I me mean, I'll give an example, right? There's, there's really no good way to argue out of Descartes' demon, right? The idea that Descartes, um, you know, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of that was that um, he was trying to prove to himself that he, you know, what could he know without any experiences, right? And so basically he got to the point where he said, well, actually, as far as I know, every piece of sensory information that comes into my brain could be mistaken. You know, my eyes deceive me all the time. Um, my ears might deceive me. My, All of my senses have been wrong in the past, so I have no way of knowing that they're not always wrong. And so Descartes said, okay, well, the only thing I can know is that I exist somewhere as a consciousness because I'm thinking right now of these ideas. And as much as I am a materialist kind of, you know, I'm a hard scientific guy. That argument from Descartes is really hard to argue your way out of, right? So it's it's useful to see these things and be able to say you know it's it's a hugely important thing, I think, in the UFO field to be able to say I don't have all the answers. I don't know I don't know if these things are figments of our perception, if they are something like Descartes' demon, where um, you know, a lot of people say that when they get abducted or they have an experience, that it is what they're seeing or experiencing is whatever this thing, these beings want them to see or experience, right? right. And, and, we're and that's gonna... an impossible, that's an impossible hole to get out of. There's no way to then disprove or prove anything about that case. We really, do, we do have to take um, a break on for... the person's testimony. We got to
0: take a break for the news right now, Chris. When we come back on the other side, though, I do want to get into that about what people are experiencing. So we'll be right back with more. Two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa. We we had to send Stephanie home. Because uh, she has to rest up for the aliens abductor. Right, I think that's what was actually happening. So she's she's telling us that she's, you know, tired and worn out and not feeling all that right. great. And, you know, she has to teach that class tomorrow. But I know what it really is. I know that like she knows if she gets home before midnight then she's safe, but if she's like out after midnight, the aliens might get her. Right. That's exactly it, it, what it is. It kind, it's kind of a perfect cover to say that you don't like aliens if you are an alien. That's a good point, too. So maybe that's what it is. Alright, she's getting in the car now, so now we have to stop talking about it, because <laughs> <laughs> now she'll sure. be able to hear us. Uh, but we are having a, a fantastic, fascinating discussion with our guest tonight, Chris Cogswell. He's the New Director of Research for MUFON, and he's also the host of the Mad Scientist podcast. We're going to talk about that a little bit as well coming up in this hour. If at any point you want to call in with any questions, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. And you can also send in your questions in the chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com and on YouTube. You can see us there. And, uh, well, my beard's looking pretty good tonight. Uh, we have somebody. It looks like a uh, Belia or Belia in the chat room saying, "Was watching a Ghost Adventures episode tonight and saw the guy from here with the goatee." I don't know which. Is that me? I don't know. I don't know. Was I on Ghost Adventures tonight? Maybe. Usually I gain a couple of Twitter followers when I'm on, so I don't know. Probably not. Zach doesn't have me on anymore. Uh, But let's get back into the discussion with Chris Cogswell. And, uh, again, 508-996-0500 for anybody that has a question. Uh, But, Chris, we were talking before the break. You had mentioned uh, abduction cases. And one of the questions that I have always wondered and asked about UFO abductions is when this is happening to people uh, and it's happening repeatedly – we hear of these cases of people who are abducted multiple times. Why are we never able to kind of be there in the moment when that's going to happen to them?
3: So it's actually, that's actually a really interesting question. And it gets down to the, it gets down to that point that I was making before the break, which was, are these events, um, some, in some way, uh, Purely psychological or purely consciousness-driven in some way, mm-hmm. and that's what I would consider to be sort of the more metaphysical view of UFO cases. And then you have the more physical view, which is, you know, these are uh, these are flesh and blood or some kind of physical beings that are coming down and taking people out of their beds or something. Now, a lot of people make the make the argument that. Um, this is a purely consciousness-driven sort of event. So these things aren't from another planet, they're from another, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, right? And, um, you know, there's really, it's, it's an interesting viewpoint, but I think it's one that again, kind of devolves into ultimate reduction because you get to a point where, um, you know, the argument would be, for instance, if you look at cases from the 50s, aliens come down and they appear to be pretty much, you know, humanoid, kind of weird. They have maybe have an accent of some sort. And uh but you know, pretty much they're coming down and saying, you know, don't drop any more nuclear bombs. Right?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Then you get to the sixties and the seventies and they're kind of you know, it's it's kind of uh it's kind of people, you know, spray painted green or blue or something and they're coming down in space bikinis. You know, and they're like, you know, we want to party with you humans, you know. And then you get to the to the eighties and late seventies 80s, 90s, where it's a more um, frightening experience. That's kind of the more, um, you know, kind of the con- the communion um, era where, you know, starting with Betty and Barney Hill, where abduction cases were more surgical. It was these kind of cold, uncaring, almond-shaped-eyed beings taking people out of their homes for experimentation and then bringing them back. And then today, you actually see um, sort of a, almost a Lovecraftian sort of event, where people are um, transported out of their homes. There are are extreme terror. Um, They see things they can't understand or explain. And just kind of weird, really weird stuff happens to them. And there is oftentimes still this kind of uh, surgery aspect to it. But we're definitely starting to see kind of a twinge or a turn over to uh, more high strangeness, let's say. Now, The people who are pure materialists would say that that is evidence that abduction is a sociological thing, that it's being changed by our cultural perception, and so these people are either, maybe a real event happened to them, but they're conflating that with what they expect an abduction to be like, or what they expect a UFO to be like. Right. But the kind of consciousness, metaphysical UFO believers would say that, you know, this is evidence that they are um, changing what they appear to us as based on what they think we can handle, right? So kind of that that idea of, you know, um, well, why why do you look like that, Mr. Alien? And the alien says, you know, well, it's what your mind could understand, right? I'm a fifth-dimensional creature or something, and, you know, your puny three-dimensional mind can't understand me as I truly am. I would say that uh, so – so to answer your question, um, that's kind of a part of it where the inability to capture them on film or even the fuzzy edges, let's say, um, that actually might be indicative of a good case. That actually might be indicative of someone having a real experience, right? You hear about people saying when they have these experiences, they can't they can't really remember the face or they can't really remember the, the, the exact details of what these things look like. They just kind of have perceptions Um, in their peripheral vision of movement or of they get a vibe of, you know, um, solidness over there and there's a being doing something to them but they can't really focus on them in some way. Maybe that is a result of them not existing in our um, space-time the way that physical things do. Maybe that is a result of them... um, drugging us or or having some kind of effect on our uh, nervous system right some ability to control us so that we don't remember and maybe that is just something that um it's a meme that got picked up by uh someone reading about science fiction and it just continues because right? people hear it and it spreads and whatever all three of those are valid hypotheses and there's many more out there and it's going to be kind of um it's sort of up to, up to us as an organization and as researchers, not even just MUFON, to try to find evidence to disprove one of those hypotheses so that the others become more valid, right? And, and I, do, I do just want to say quick, there is a team at MUFON specifically working on abduction cases. Um, it's the uh, experience or research team. They're doing some really great work right now. And they're actually uh, they're they're one of the first teams actually to do or put together a uh, uh, you know you look at this stuff from a statistical point of view from a data analysis point of view right so they have a survey that's been going out for quite quite some time now and um, you know doing that kind of analysis but yeah I mean I don't know one well, of the that's a, really- a question one of the questions still is why can't we seem to get good pictures or good evidence or be there when this event occurs.
0: Right. That, but that's a relatively new angle for MUFON to work with abductees, right? Is that uh, – I thought for the, – the, at least my understanding of it was always, you know, MUFON was into kind of the – more of the physical, more of the, yeah. uh, you know, the, the hard science aspects of it, and that the things like abduction was better left to – like Bud Hopkins and the Intruders Foundation, organizations like right. that, that MUFON was looking for the the physical science of – the existence of UFOs and that even things like abductions were kind of taking away some of the, uh, you know, taking away some of the, I guess, the seriousness of that research.
3: I think over time, as more people have abduction experiences, it gets hard to turn away a potentially very viable part of piece of information or stream of information, right? Um, I, I think in some ways it is MUFON as an institution um, changing its mind, or at least opening its mind, let's say. Not necessarily changing it, but opening its mind to the possibility. But it's also um, MUFON changing literally as an organization, as uh, new people come in and, you know, sort of the uh, the view of what the membership and the uh, upper levels of MUFON, kind of the people doing these investigations and directing them further and, and this kind of stuff um, – You know, as MUFON changes memberships and and leaders, um, the stuff that we look at is changing as well. So, yeah, at at one point, um, abductions weren't really investigated. But, frankly, there are a lot more abductions every year than there are uh, crashed alien ship parts, right? So, I mean, it kind of becomes a – it comes to a point where, um, you know, why can't we look at both pieces of evidence or both streams of evidence – um, in a way that they deserve, right?
0: Well, and, and that's what I find fascinating about uh, you talking about having a multi prong approach to the research now and to be willing to take some of the the metaphysical with the physical, which was something that, you know, before there was, maybe not necessarily with the leadership of MUFON, but in a lot of the ufology community, to say that if we start taking these fringe theories seriously, it's going to devalue the work that we've done to find, you know, landing sites and soil sample tests and and, uh, all these other things that we have done to try and prove to people that these are a physical craft that is coming and visiting this planet. And I think you're probably going to get closer to the answer by uh, taking more of the metaphysical approach, just my personal belief, but the fact that they're willing to actually open the doors to that, and that you're pushing for that as being part of the the research that is that is done, will make even if it doesn't get closer to the answer, it will open it up to way more people willing to to listen to the research that's being done.
3: Well, you know, it's it's actually kind of interesting. I every time I talk to anybody about MUFON, I actually one of my favorite things is finding out what their opinion or view of mufon was before they talked to me because mufon is kind of this it's sort of a it's a, it's, it's so talking to you right now um, mufon from from your experience with mufon in the past it is a hard science materialist uh, thing right that's what they're looking for they're looking for soil samples and um, evidence of scorch marks and this kind of physical evidence, right?
0: At least in my experiences with them, yes.
3: If and 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 that is definitely one aspect of what MUFON has been. But then when I talk to my friends who are um, skeptics and part of skeptical societies and scientists and researchers and, and um, kind of people that are like, you know, what are you doing joining MUFON? There, they would tell me that MUFON is a a bunch of kooks who think that. Um, you know, there there's an underground moon base and um Ancient Aliens is true and all this other stuff, right? MUFON is kind of I think MUFON has become to a lot of people um what's the word? MUFON is kind of for whoever is looking at MUFON, MUFON is the negative view that they have of the UFO field. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, you know what I mean? No, I know
0: exactly what you mean.
3: And it it, it it's it's really hard. When I first And I think part of the reason that that is is that MUFON is so decentralized. If you go to a MUFON meeting in Massachusetts, you are going to have a far different experience than if you take a one-hour drive north and go to one in Vermont or go to one in New Hampshire or even – you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like each state has its own flavor. And so, for instance, when I went to my first MUFON meeting here in Minnesota, um, it was all uh, very, very out there. Right. I mean, there was the field investigators are very grounded and centered, but the stuff that people were talking about, their experiences and everything were, you know, um, I came to find out 50 percent of the room were people that claimed to have been abducted. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a group of people who come together and um, talk about their experiences in some way. Right. But then talking to friends who I've said, you know, hey, go to go to your local meeting in, you in, uh, in Idaho or in Iowa or, or you know Kansas or wherever, right? New York, and let me you know. Let me know what you think. I've had some come back and say, you know, it was a room full of physicists, and they didn't want to talk to me at all about you know um, Skinwalker Ranch and the possibility of the trickster element of UFO cases. And you know, then you get other people that say, you know, well, it's super religious. It was you know, it made me um, it made me question if I want to be involved, right? Like because it's so decentralized, there is so much variance. And I think part of my goal is, if you are out there listening, if you are a person who's interested in the serious, um, the serious search for UFOs, and not talking about these more um, out there theories and conspiracies and whatever, then I want you to contact me, and I want to make a part of MUFON that we can work at together. Do you know what I mean? Like right. I want, I want there to be a wing of MUFON that when I joined. I was looking for. That's what I'm trying to create with the research
0: wing. Well, and because any one of the theories could end up being proven to be right, you know, the, there's there's no one no one more valid than the other. So, uh, the fact that there are people that are willing to pursue those different theories and different angles, then there should absolutely be somebody that's willing to uh, show them how to utilize that theory and 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 how to make the research shape that theory. The, I I always think that when a group goes into something like this and we you know we do a lot of ghost work here with spooky Cell sure. Ghosts and we've we've had a lot of people talk about trying to make a mufon for ghosts. And the problem is, though, is the modalities are so different for everybody and the belief system is so different for, for everybody that there's no way to to be able to kind of look at everybody else's research and start to put those patterns together. And so that's the, the only thing that I would be worried about is if you are opening up the doors to all those different angles of research, how does that affect your statistical data then with, you know, trying to – Put these cases together, where some of these might be a physical case and some of these might be a metaphysical case, and you've got to try to find commonalities
3: between them, maybe. Right. Well, so the the point I think, and actually, so so two points here. The first one would be um, the way I look at the way I look at what I would hope Mufon can eventually be, or or what I hope to kind of maybe not eventually be, because there are parts of Mufon that are like this now. But what I hope that the research one at least can really become is similar to, say, a again like an academic philosophy department, right? So my philosophy department at UNH, there were um, dyed-in-the-wool conservatives um, talking and working with and being friendly with straight-up like Marxists. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like there, there are uh, there are people who think that. Um, consciousness is a uh, evidence of free will and the presence of God, and people that think free will or, or consciousness is evidence, or consciousness is a byproduct of determinist particle interactions at the level of the brain, right? Like, there are people that, you know, the sky is green, the sky is blue. These people are so diametrically opposed, but they work together, they share their ideas, and they... Make their arguments better because they're arguing against each other daily and refining their techniques and their ideas. Right? A lot of the problem I think that people have had with Mufon, and this is a problem that I've had myself, is that uh, we allow everything to be said without any challenge. Right? So every piece of evidence is is consi- I mean every piece of evidence is valid. That is true. But every theory, every hypothesis, every story. Told about that evidence is not necessarily valid and if they can't if those ideas can't withhold scrutiny or can't stand up to scrutiny then we should get rid of them right like we should be able to using all of our knowledge all of our information um, chip away at falsehood to get to that core of truth right and so regardless of if you, if the person or the investigator or whoever Is coming at it from a metaphysical point of view Or even if the evidence itself Is purely metaphysical There should still be Some way to Refine that story And find either something that we can latch onto And say this looks like it's probably A good case versus This looks like it's probably something else Right, right Right. And part of the problem with that is going to be That idea Of, like for instance if someone says that they are – I don't know. Let's say someone is claiming that they are being visited by an alien entity, or that they're being abducted every night. If the only evidence is their claim that they are being abducted, then we have to look at that in a way that I would say is similar to, again, a, a, a police detective or, a, or let's say a lawyer trying to build a case, right? Justice in this country um, and criminal cases are are all the time litigated on the word of a single eyewitness, right? Or a single person saying, this terrible thing happened to me. I think that we need to use some of the same techniques there, such as the story is consistent internally. The logic all makes sense. Um, Even if no one else experienced it with them, this person was talking about it right away. Right there's evidence of let's say um, trauma. Right, I mean sometimes abductions are traumatic experiences. Even just seeing a UFO might be a traumatic experience. Sure. There's, if there's evidence of trauma there, then that is again itself a potentially um, good indicator that something happened. Now, again, though, if some of those signs aren't there, if they're not logically consistent, if um, if really this seems like a person who is like you know. Hey, I, had, I was abducted. Here's my here's my book. I want twenty bucks for it. If all they're seeming to want to do is sell a DVD or something, then you know that also has to come into it, and we have to say, well, maybe this is one that we don't we don't go into further, or this is one that we think we don't know. We don't. We can't trust it, right? Those those points, those ideas, uh, or those claims rather, need to be critiqued strongly because, again. If we want to convince people that something is happening out there, then we need to provide them with the best evidence. And if we're just collecting everything as evidence and just seeing what sticks on the wall, that's not a good way to. That's not the first off. Not a good way to present ourselves as an organization. It's not a good way to represent our members. It's not a good way to really get to the truth. Right. It's not a good way to get to that bottom um, of the information. So, so it is. It is definitely a hard, uh, a hard tightrope to walk let's say, between the metaphysical and physical evidence, but I don't think it's impossible. And I think we can – I think as we go along here, and again, we're trying to – we're trying to – as we come up with data, as we come up with case reports, and as we come up with – basically, what we're going to do is distill all this information and this analysis down into white papers. And these kind of are articles that are going to go out for public consumption, and they're going to go out after being – critiqued internally by MUFON and then sent to um, what I hope will be a vicious board of skeptics who will just tear into it, right? And then when they come back with their critique and their, their you know, this is what you should do next time or, you know, this doesn't make any sense, whatever, every time we get that information, it's better information that lets us write a better report next time, right? And so as we refine, I hope that we can eventually come to some, some small, even if it's a small thing, single case where even the most hardened skeptics look at it and say you know what i'm i'm not i'm not sure what happened here right i don't i don't maybe not maybe we won't ever convince every skeptic that it's a ufo or it's an alien or whatever but i at least want to make i want to make a skeptic a skeptical person a more hardcore skeptic than i am let's say at least scratch their head and say you know this is a weird one i don't know what happened here
0: but but the other the other hard part about this now is the reality of the world that we live in today, and as people who have spent uh years trying to make people at least open up their minds to possibilities of the work that you do, the work that we do here, you know we live in an especially trying time now because no matter what you present to people. It's an era now where every fact can be dismissed as being fake if people want to view it that way. And so there's that extra challenge of trying to find the good information and the good evidence to present to people and the knowledge that it just still isn't going to be enough.
3: Right. Well, it's hard. It's so hard, especially with, you know, Adobe, Adobe Photoshop, really, I mean – they just destroyed paranormal research.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, for ghosts, we don't even need to go that far. Like, for ghosts, you don't even need to spend the money on Adobe. You can just get a 99-cent app on your phone that just throws ghosts into every
3: photo. So at oh, least sure, be thankful sure, that they sure. haven't done yeah. that yet for UFOs. Yeah. No, I mean, well, the, the, again, that is why I think it's so important that we, um, we really try to get corroborating evidence. Do You know what I mean? Like... That's the thing. Let's say you're let's say you're hunting for a ghost, right? And I have I have actually yet to be on a real ghost hunt. I have one of the guys that's on our internal review board um, did ghost hunting for a while, um, and uh, he really enjoyed it and had a good time in upstate New York doing that kind of stuff. And he ha- he's had some he's had some weird experiences. But um, but anyways, if you were hunting for a ghost and say you caught. Um, some kind of I don't know on camera you caught some kind of voice that said you know you know oh what's your name and the voice comes back as Mary and then you go back in the history in the history books of the home or the area and find out that there was a, a violent death of a woman named Mary or something that is corroborating evidence right and that's a piece you can put forward and say hey look at look at this really interesting thing that occurred right that's kind of what we're hoping to do for UFO cases where You know, the best cases, the ones that have really stood the test of time, are the ones that have multiple witnesses or have corroborating evidence such as radar data or um, have, you know, uh, people who uh, remember the person talking about it the next day or cases that do have some kind of other after-effect physical evidence, right, Um, burn marks or scorched trees or something, uh, a ring on the ground, whatever it is, right, and – they're the cases, too, that have very verifiable witnesses, right? I mean, we tend to give more credence to an Air Force pilot who says, I saw something really strange in the sky once over, you know, someone like me or you who maybe not have that level of flight experience, mm-hmm. right? But the issue is – the issue is going to be, I think for me at least, the issue is going to be – um. Let's say putting that evidence out there in a way that is agreeable, agreeable to everyone, in the sense that it is um, it is factual evidence, it is solid evidence, like all of that stuff is done ethically and correctly and on above board, and then also that the analysis itself is rigorous enough that we provide, we we almost provide all those skeptical arguments ourselves, and we give mm-hmm. rebuttals in those in those articles, right? So. You know, yeah, someone might think that this is just someone, you know, whatever, misidentifying a plane, but flight records show there were no planes in the sky over that area that night, right? Or the the the, the lighting pattern was wrong or something. You're never, in my view, you're never going to convince everyone 100% of the time. Like, no matter how good a case is, if an alien came down tomorrow and shook, uh, shook the hand of, of the president and was like, you know, yeah, we've been visiting. Sorry for all the weird stuff we've been doing. You would still have people on the internet saying, "Oh my God, that was a crisis alien actor." You know what I mean? Right. So like, you would still have people on the internet making conspiracies about it. So, those people we're never gonna get. We're never gonna get, and at the same time, we're never gonna get the really hardcore skeptics who just want to debunk everything, right? But it's that middle ground. We want to get the people in the middle to get them thinking. You know, so. So I don't know. I think it's going to be a challenge, but I'm not sure it'll be any more. Of it. I mean, listen, I worked in I worked in uh, climate change research for uh, for a while, and you know, I don't know if it'll be any harder than trying to convince my grandmother that climate change is real. Right, or you know?
0: or the president of the United States, <laughs> right, for that matter, or the head of the EPA, you know people that should Anything. know about it but i know it's ridiculous oh my goodness science what is happening to science <laughs> science, science does not matter anymore you know did, yeah. did you not see the memo that went to the cdc you know they don't they don't want to know about statistics and and, and information they don't want scientific words and reports anymore uh you know and that's that you, you know you'd mentioned earlier in the show kind of off the cuff you mentioned disinformation and i I used to think that there was an active disinformation campaign out there for certain for certain topics and certain subjects. But now I wonder if it even needs to happen, if they even need to invest in any kind of disinformation because people are their own best disinformation. People screw themselves over because we, we put a guy up on a pedestal like Stan Romanek, for example. You know, here's a guy that – look at this – evidence that he's gotten, look at this video that he's gotten, he might have actually captured an alien being on camera, oh and oh, oh by the way, he's also into child pornography and everything else, you know, and it's like, whether or not it's true doesn't matter anymore because the people who don't believe him will say, well look at all this stuff that he does, and then the people that do believe him will say, well look at what they're doing to set him up, and it's just, it, the, the argument is always going to be there because we just naturally as humans, either are are you know faulty human beings trying to do this work but at the same time we are also so easily willing to uh believe the fact that this is too good to be true
3: right well we have you know it's we have a problem where you know i mean so not that long ago the government uh basically came out and said or or at least uh, you know um elizondo came out and said hey uh the go- i was paid by the government to look for ufo's <laughs> Right? Like, that is that is basically disclosure, right? That right. is the government coming uh, – someone who worked for the government, the government not denying it, a senator saying, yeah, I, I paid for it too, I, I put the money out there for it, saying, hey, we've been looking for UFOs.
0: Right. I mean, it's not disclosure to say that we know that they exist, but at least no. to, like, to acknowledge so looking, the fact that we're right? looking, yeah. <laughs>
3: like, we're looking, right? The government is actively involved in looking for UFOs. And that – like, that happened – and I remember that day getting you know, texting all my friends that are involved in this and whatever, and being like, Oh my god, this is crazy. Did you just see CNN he was on the you know and all this other stuff, whatever and then the next day, nothing changed. Right. Right? Like like nothing happened. And I honestly do believe that if again, if the government said this is video evidence we have found whatever on a satellite of an alien ship Look at this. We we have we have concrete evidence. We have to start working to defend our planet, or contact them, or whatever. Within minutes, there would be someone online saying that this was a false flag um, operation, some kind of disinformation, something to I don't know, pay the military or or upgrade our weaponry or whatever, right? Like that. The the and the problem or part of the problem i think is that in some ways mufon has been in the past at least almost an unwitting agent of allowing that to happen in some ways right so in the sense that by not by by ufo research not internally critiquing and coming out and saying hey we don't believe this guy right by not doing that work by not having those uncomfortable conversations We've almost, like, opened the door to this kind of bad stuff, right? We've, we've opened right. the door to this conspiracy and this, um, this bad info. And, again, I, I agree with you. I don't even think that like, – the government does not need to, I think, pay money to sow disinformation in uh, paranormal UFO conspiracy circles, whatever, because there's always going to be someone out there trying to make a quick buck on people who will believe what they want to hear. Right, there's always going to be an Alex Jones selling you a water filter. Right, right? there's yeah. always going to be that person out there selling you some stupid product that doesn't do anything off of your fear and your dogmatism. There's always going to be that person, and so in the UFO field, um, that that has happened. That has happened recently. Right, that is occurring all the time. And part of what I hope we can do at MUFON now. Is really be a source where people can look and say, "Is this is this idea above board? Does this idea make sense? Is this a scam?" And right?
0: And remember, if our government doesn't want to pay to sow those seeds of discord, Russia certainly will.
3: Uh, what right. the, I mean, what that, the, and that's <laughs> so. the, that's the other the other issue is that if if something is disinformation, then it shouldn't hold up to scrutiny, <laughs> right? right? Yep like if if they're that's part of and again maybe you're correct and it won't actually matter because you know i mean let's let's take example climate change right climate change disinformation has been sown since the 70s first where we said that oil was not um, could not be depleted then we said that uh, co2 could not be a uh, greenhouse gas or so the greenhouse gas effect wasn't occurring so the ozone layer wasn't being uh, damaged by um, CFCs. Um, then we said that the, um, again, we've come around to the idea that, well, actually, uh, okay, carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. It does take in more radiation, whatever. But actually, it's just a cyclic thing. It happens all the time, right? Like the argument keeps keeps kind of morphing, whatever. Mm-hmm. But again, that disinformation that's being sown by by moneyed interests doesn't really hold up to scientific scrutiny. It does not hold up to critique. And that's why it's so important to constantly critique ourselves in the UFO field. Because if we think that there's disinfo out there, um, then we should be trying to seek it out. We should be trying to confront it with evidence so, again, we can't be tricked, right? Um, But for a long time, we've just kind of, you know, we've just kind of allowed any story to be told at our conventions or at our symposiums or our, our meetings or whatever or in our press. And just said, Well, that's another weird story, and I don't know what happened, but I'm gonna be searching for a craft, right? So, so yeah, it's a hard I don't know I mean I hope that I hope that we can be better. I hope that people can when presented with the facts, um choose for themselves and look logically at it and say, Well, actually, this doesn't make sense to me, but you know what? maybe we will never get more than seventy eighty percent of people that way. I don't know. Well,
0: people need to train themselves, too, a little bit uh, as well to, to, to be receptive to information and to, to have their own filters as well because I got a message from somebody on Facebook this week telling me, you know, I can't believe how ridiculous it is that they're, they're claiming that these Parkland students are crisis actors and that they've been at all these other school shooting scenes. And I said, well, hold on, wait a minute now. You're, uh, you know, uh, and believe me, I, I think that that's a just a harebrained idea to have to begin with, but you're also calling those people out on that, but you're the same person that sends me clips of the, you know, the news anchors that turn reptilian when you pause it real fast and you see their, their tongue stick out. You know, like, at some at some point, you know, you have to have kind of a BS detector, even for the things that you want to believe are true as
3: well. Oh, yeah. I mean, people are... I always tell people this, you know, Socrates was the most... Uh, the most wise man in all of Athens because he said, I know that the only thing I know is that I know nothing, right? Right. <laughs> That's what I try to, you know, kind of the mantra I try to give myself. And, you know, um, my wife definitely doesn't think I stick to that enough. <laughs> <laughs> right? I definitely go off kind of um, on – quick you know oh i know how to do this and then you know next thing you know the whole house is flooded with uh, bathroom water or something right but the idea is still i guess to keep ourselves always open to other ideas and yeah always say that you know i don't know i don't know enough about this and part of i think the part of i think the challenge for groups like say move on or you know, hunt, uh, ghost hunting societies, or um, I don't know, any any kind of research, even science, right? Even like, even like, you know, straight academic science. The challenge is always to not allow yourselves to get caught up in that dogmatism that happens so often throughout our history, right? Um, you know, in my own field, there is a famous paper that um, that everyone is told to read. It's like the first paper you're told to read. And so you read it and you try to go through it and whatever. And then, um, and then my advisor, at least, told me afterwards, after I read it, he had me try to replicate the experiment, and I couldn't. I could not get this experiment to work. And I kept trying it. I tried it for, you know, months, month, two months, three months. And finally, he he pulled me aside, you know, after a, after a meeting of our lab group, and he said, you know, uh, Chris, what do you think about this experiment? Why can't you get it to work? And I just said, you know, well, I don't, you know, I don't know why. I'm, I must be doing something wrong. I, I must be missing something. I don't know what's the problem. And the issue, evidently, that everyone in my field knew, except for me and all the other first-year students, was that that paper is wrong. <laughs> hmm. That famous paper that, like, all of this research is based off of, is missing a very important part of the recipe. And the reason it's missing it is because of the time that the paper was published. It was a um, it was basically a, a patented material. It was a specific material that was made by ExxonMobil. And so uh, they, they just missed this part that I guess seemed obvious to them, but it isn't obvious. It was not something I thought to do. And uh, when I changed that method, it worked completely. It worked the first time I tried it, right? And it worked every time after that too. So even in the sciences, even in these, these places that we think are very – Critical and very, you know, erudite and whatever. Um, there are dogma. There are dogmas. There are, you know, giants that we think can't be felled. Or ideas that will stay forever. And it's important to remind ourselves that that's not always the case, right? So, but it is. It is hard. And that's also partly why. Um, partly why I think it's so important too that we do. Like, if if I had to say right now what I think. Where I think we're probably going to find the best evidence for UFO – I don't know, for UFOs even existing in the atmosphere or something, Mm -hmm. I would say it's probably going to come from either a military sighting or a sighting with a good video and and radar confirmation or something like that. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to not look at abduction cases or, um, I don't know, other kind of close encounters or – you know, calls from people who are just, you know, everyday people, whatever, right? We have to be open to all that data because you don't know. We don't know until we look.
0: And and I think, too, that as uh, – I guess the good side of the, as much as I hate the whole fake news, you know, angle for things, as much as I hate people – uh, and that's the problem. Is it's, it's just that if you don't believe it, you don't want to believe it. You call it fake news. But then, you know, anything online that is probably fake. If it's what you want to believe, you just buy into it. And that's you know. But I I do think that one good offshoot of that can be the fact that people aren't going to know what to believe or what not to believe. So they're going to be more open to possibilities. And uh, and I do think that that's going to make people start to question more and more. Hey, you know, maybe that light that I saw in the sky wasn't a plane. You know, maybe I shouldn't just so quickly dismiss it. So, uh, you know, I think we're probably going to see an uptick in reports, not only just based on society today, but also in this branching out of of philosophy uh, of what it is exactly that you're going to be researching and looking for.
3: Yeah, potentially. I mean, you know, I I, I mean that'd be great. I hope so. You know, I mean, I hope that. I don't know. I don't know, actually. You know, it's interesting. I'm actually thinking, I wonder... So one thing that we we find to be very... um, One thing that we've we've noticed, at least, or I've noticed, going through these cases now and just in reading about this topic generally, is uh, you'll have cases where someone will say, you know, I saw a... We had a case recently. We had a a case recently here in Minnesota where a, a, a person who's... He's had now multiple sightings. Um, of what he he believes to be the same craft, and he's stated that um, this craft is hovered uh, near his near his home, kind of like near not near his home, but near his route to get to work. Right. So as he's leaving um, early in the morning, he sees this craft. Um, you know, sees it like two times, two three times over the course of uh, of a year or two, and. Uh, one At one juncture, when he saw this thing, it hovered and then it kind of took off. It, it accelerated kind of in a way that would suggest that it's not under the same bounds of kind of ballistic propulsion that we utilize. And in uh, that one instance, though, that he saw it take off, there were three other cars on the road stopped looking at the thing with him. And, um, and those people just drove away. They never reported anything to MUFON, right? Um, And there have been other cases, too, where he's actually been driving along on the highway and he has claimed to see something, and then everyone else acts like they don't see it, right? Or you even have cases where someone will say, you know, I saw a being or I was abducted out of my home, but no one else woke up. No one else seemed to notice that anything weird happened that night, right? So it, it becomes a question of of literally being open to the experience. Right, and it's actually something that I mean. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're probably more uh, well versed in this than I am. But I mean, you look at the history of, let's say, demonology, right, or or kind of a ghostly encounters. And one idea that crops up a lot is the idea that you have to invite something in. Mm-hmm. Right? you you can't, you won't just have an experience out of nowhere. You have to be open to the experience, whether or not that's, whether that's positive or negative in some way or whatever. And in some weird ways, that's kind of also the case for UFOs, right? We have, we have members who will say, you know, i never seen anything, and then I started coming to these meetings and I saw, I saw a craft. I, I finally saw one, right? And so it becomes a question of, well, is it that they're always out there and people are just tuning them out, right? Kind of like, um, you know, I mean, how many times a day do you see a sparrow or a bluebird or something, right? right? Like they're so common in Massachusetts that it, it just becomes part of the surrounding. Right? Have we been so tuned to that over our lifetimes that we just kind of zone it out? We don't even notice a weird light in the sky that's out of place unless we're looking for it.
0: Right. It, it's kind so, of like it's it's kind of like what they call blue car syndrome, you know, where uh, you, you know, it used to be blue car because you went out and bought a blue car, but now it's even more specific. You know, you go out and you buy uh, a brand new black Dodge Charger, and all of a sudden you're seeing black Dodge Chargers everywhere when absolutely. you never realized they were absolutely, all out there right? before.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it, it is kind of that same idea, and so that's another interesting aspect. Just, like, I just, just I just said
0: that because I want a black box charger,
3: right? Um, or is it a real or is it a real thing? with what's going on, right? So, but yeah, I don't know. I I honestly, one thing that's been really interesting is seeing the increase in actual cases that are coming in from outside the United States. So um, so if you actually – I don't know if you know this. You can actually uh, – did you know that you can actually look at the cases that come into MUFON like every day if you want? Yeah, I know that
0: because usually what happens when we get reports of something is we go and we look and see if there's been other similar reports for the area.
3: Sure, sure, sure. Okay, yeah. So a lot of people I've talked to have uh, – a lot of people I've talked to, even people that are like, again, same level of like investment as us where they're actually investigating in these things or whatever – um, they'll be like, you know, well, no, I had no idea that that was available. That information was available to the public. But so, for our listeners that may not know, you can go to mufon.com and look at our UFO tracker and actually look at the cases as they come in. Um, I don't suggest doing it at night because it is spooky to some people, <laughs> but it is an interesting pastime. It's something cool that you can go into.
0: And one of the th- you can see. Go I'm ahead. Gonna, no, I was going say one of the things that I've always wondered too is why MUFON doesn't put more of an effort. To reach out to uh, to the Air Force, to airports, to law enforcement, so that when people call these organizations to report UFOs, they don't have that information handy to say, okay, well, why don't you just call MUFON or report this to MUFON or go on the MUFON website? Because it's not like it's... It's not like you know the random you know country bumpkin cop out in the middle of nowhere is giving credence to the idea of UFOs existing. It's just basically saying, "Hey, that's not our area. Report it to these guys. They handle that."
3: Right. I don't. I don't want to deal with this call right now. Right. right. But I. I and it, it. Yeah, that's a good question. I you know, they have it, the Good Samaritans phone number
0: right next to the phone in every police station, so they can give you that number if you know you need to call. Do they should have MUFON right next to the phone as well?
3: Right. Well, you know what? It's I think part of the reason, honestly, is that MUFON, the UFO, like, the UFO community's relationship with government and with, like, institutions is has been shaky at best. Well, understandable. Right? Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think at the same time, too, um, I do think there there are, uh, as MUFON gets older and all these military members get older and start to retire and and you know, come come out of uh, come out of jobs that might keep them from being more actively involved in this. Um, we are actually starting to have that kind of relationship in some areas, but again, it is a hard. It can be a hard sell, right? right? Uh, both in terms of you know the cops don't even want to you know why would they waste their time calling us in the first place, and then also you know the sense of you know. Um, I don't know the sense of reluctance I think on the part of um, a state director or a field investigator or something to give their name and information out to um, another person right right but um, but no I mean that's a huge thing and I think it is an important thing that MUFON needs to start doing more of let's say is making it clear that you know um, we are interested in everything if you if it's as simple as seeing a, a star in the sky or a light that seems to zigzag around, or something that you can't explain or whatever, we want to hear about it. You know what I mean? Um, and you can go on our website and report it yourself, or you can contact a, a local MUFON representative, right? But uh, but yeah, I don't know. Actually, that is a very good question, and maybe something that I'll have to bring up the next uh, the next kind of functional directors meeting. Well, we
0: only have a few moments left in the show. Why don't you let everybody know about the Mad Scientist Podcast and what people can expect uh, from that from that show?
3: Oh yeah, totally. So, uh, so the Mad Scientist Podcast is the show that I do with my co-host Marie Mayhew. We we take a hard scientific look um, at paranormal and other sorts of claims. So, um, all the way from conspiracy theories to ghost sightings to um, UFO cases to Bigfoot to vampires to all that kind of, all the spooky stuff. Um, that you hear about another podcast, but we, we look at it more seriously in terms of the science and the history and the philosophy that goes into those ideas. Um, it's a pretty lighthearted show where, uh, we try to be pretty funny. We, uh, it, it is not safe for work. We are, <laughs> we are a little bit crass on the air, but, uh, it's super fun though. And, you know, if you, like this kind of stuff, and you've always wanted to hear, I guess, kind of the hard science behind some of these techniques or these ideas. My show might be for you, so you can find us on iTunes, on Audio Boom, basically everywhere you listen to podcasts. It's the Mad Scientist Podcast, and um, the logo is a guy with a jack o' lantern head, so it's super easy to find. <laughs> and uh, and and that's
0: what I think is is the best part, you know, the best way to look at things, to have that balance of of looking at things through the hard science lens but also still be willing to have fun with it and be willing to to say, in the end, we really don't know the answer to any of these questions yet.
3: Yeah. I mean, ultimately, like, you have to have a good sense of humor to be involved in this stuff, right? I mean, if nine times out of ten you're just going to go talk to some interesting character who's had a weird experience, you have to be able to roll with the punches and see... Kind of, you know, a bigger picture, I guess, right? It's not always grim Scully, and Mulder stuff. Really, a lot of the time it's more, um, <laughs> maybe more akin to Scooby Doo. You know, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty hijinky and kind of, um, you know, it, it can be fun. So we try to have fun with it. We try to be open to ideas and stuff. And, you know, we, uh, we do, though, bring the science. So, you know, if you ever wanted to know, I don't know, how, how electrons orbit a nucleus. We are those. We are that show. So,
0: well, uh, certainly, I think our audience would love it, so they can check it out again through iTunes or wherever wherever they find podcasts, and and right on the website too, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. themadscientistpodcast.com. dot com. And tell people how they can follow you on uh, social media.
3: Yeah. So you can follow me at Chris F Cogswell. That's F as in Fred. Or you can follow me at uh, Mad Scientist Pod on Twitter. So both of those are on Twitter. You can follow me on Facebook. Um, you can follow me through MUFON. So you can you can kind of track the stuff that we're doing. And if you want to get involved or you have an idea, you have a case, anything to do with UFOs or any of this stuff, really, you can shoot me an email at directorresearch@mufon.com. That's all one word. Um, so directorresearch@mufon.com. All right. Well, thank
0: you for joining us tonight, Chris, and, and hopefully we can circle back around with you when you've uh, when you've been in the position for a while and we can see how the stuff you're implementing is working out.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Thank you so much for having
0: me. All right. Thank you for coming on. You have a great night. Thanks. You too. That is Chris Cogswell. He is the director of research from MUFON and the host of the Mad Scientist podcast. We're just about out of time for this week's show. Uh, we had I, I thought this was a fascinating discussion. I love just being able to break things down, talk about the different theories and the different ideas. I'm going to go back and listen to this one on podcast for sure. Uh, We're not going to be on next week because we have an event coming up next Saturday night. And speaking of events, we have a few for sale at SpookySouthCoast.com and also a few for sale at Bright Star uh, Promotions website. Uh, If you just type in Bright Star Events, it'll take you right to their ticket page to get tickets for some of those events. But uh, we are – going to be off next week we'll be back in two weeks the gang will all be here and uh, we'll talk about some more strangeness some more weirdness some more spooky topics if you want to get in touch with us during the course of the week spooky crew at spooky or you can find us on twitter at spooky so until next time for everybody we want you all to stay spooktacular